Hello, I'm Simon Umer and this is Grilling, the podcast in association with Weber Barbecues, in which we talk cooking with people who do cooking, as well as almost anyone on the planet. In seasons one and two, the likes of Angela Hartner, Ken Hom, Bill Granger, Enzi Harriet, Nadi Hussain and Richard Corrigan join me to reflect upon their careers and more specifically their passion for food. And you can hear every single episode right now via your favourite podcast app. As part of the mix, they also described a dish they'd make for their best pals on the barbecue in our Against the Clock recipe challenge. But this time around, we decided describing said dish wasn't enough. So we wanted them to actually make it so we could see it and, in my case, taste it. So we filmed them and popped it up for you to watch and follow right now at weber.com forward slash grilling. So who and what do we have for you today? Well, the what is a seriously tasty bush tea brine tamarind molasses barbecue chicken. And the who is a musician, television presenter and clearly cook of the greatest, highest order. So Andy Oliver, you have the rare distinction of being the first person ever to come back for a second time onto grilling. Honestly? Yeah. I'm so thrilled by this because you loved me so much. Exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. Plus, it's a time of year there's not a lot of people around. They're on holidays. They're thinking... Everyone's who, away. Who will come to the opening of an envelope? Oliver will Andy come. Oliver. Just give her a call. She'll <laughs> knock her off. Well, last time you were on, we, we went through your history and obviously went through food like we're always going to do and it's always going to be about food. One of the things that I realised that I didn't really talk to you about last time was growing up. Because your upbringing isn't kind of what I imagined, because your dad was in the forces. Mm, he was in the RAF. So I started off in Kent, in Biggin Hill. All I remember about that really was that we used to go to school in an old control tower, and that on bonfire night, because bonfire night was a thing, didn't you do Halloween when we were kids? Yeah. Halloween, nobody cared about Halloween. Bonfire night. I hate Halloween. Get, so. I hate Halloween. Do you as well? I was so I do. Annoying. I can't with it. Just annoying. Yeah. It's like, I don't care if you're I a don't. sexy cat. Go away. No, me neither. Annoy me. Um, anyway. anyway, so but on bonfire night, we used to get, like, they used to make sausages in, on the fire and have that hot beef drink yeah. and sausages and ketchup. And that's what I remember about Big and Hill. I don't really remember much else. And the Red Arrows used to do things. Because was your dad in the forces for how long? What age? Oh, so uh, from... Well, obviously, it's from the time I remember thinking about things. So, you know, from the time I was born. Up until I was about the little 13 or something like that. So all your formative years in many respects? Were in the RAF, yeah. And did you travel around or were you UK-based all the we time? Left, we left um, Biggin Hill and we went to Cyprus. We lived in Cyprus for about three and a half years. Then we came back to London and then we ended up in Norfolk and then Suffolk. I used to quite work with, with the forces and the kids always used to say that they felt that they always felt if not homeless, they felt they weren't rooted anywhere. It is quite odd. It is quite odd because you make friends with people and then they're just suddenly gone because their mum or dad gets posted somewhere. So yeah. you do have this kind of odd, almost disassociative, anxious thing underlying yeah. everything because you're not sure if anything's going to disappear at any second. And there is, you know, loads of people who grew up in the REF are like performers and chefs. Did you know that? I'm constantly meeting people. Is that right? Like, because, yeah, they, yeah, they almost have to know. show off to kind of to make their way. To show off to get some attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, but, it, but it makes sense. No, it's quite interesting because there's a lot of people who grew up in the REF who do the same things that we do, which is, is interesting to me. Um, it is odd, but it's just your reality. And if it's just your reality, even though it's a bit odd, you just get on with it. Because and what about from a cultural point of view? Because, I mean, even when I first started doing stuff with the forces, 
the number of non-white forces faces in the forces. Yeah. I mean, it was weird. I mean, when we lived in Cyprus, actually, there were quite a few other families of colour, black families. And I think they were genuinely, I think they were all of Caribbean heritage, actually. And they were mates with my mum and dad. And we used to have these big picnics and every weekend. And it was just idyllic. Cyprus was absolutely idyllic. And it's where I fell in love with food. Most of my memories of food, oh, you must be the same, they're like food-based. Or Always. Food. They start with, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it was really good and this is what we had to eat. And people like, how do yeah. you know that? I'm like, because I loved it. It was 40 years ago, whatever it was, and I loved it. I remember people barbecuing octopus in Cyprus, and I was like, what? And I'd seen them killing the octopus on the stone, and then we went to the restaurant, and the man was barbecuing, and it was the first time I made the connection between all the, yeah. the, the kind of cycle of life and food. And, yeah. um, and I ate it, and I just thought it was incredible. I thought it was magical that I'd seen this whole sort of search cycle thing happen. And then my mum used to work in one of the offices in, uh, in, on, on, on the base, and we used to love going to meet her because we used to get these halloumi, melted, cheesy, Lucania, the Greek sausages, mm. in hot, fresh bread. And it, it's funny because when you, when you sort of say things like that, now you sort of think, OK, octopus, then, you know, most of us would have tried eating octopus over the time. Halloumi, you can't move anywhere without it. And yet we're going back to, say, up to the age of 13. So that is going back to, at the latest, 1976. Yeah, I was probably like eight or something, yeah. yeah. What were you getting at home? Well, my mum and dad were quite adventurous. They're from the Caribbean. Yeah. They were there. My dad's passed away now, but he's from the Caribbean. He used to cook a lot of food, but he was quite seafood orientated. There was a lot of squid. There was a lot of shrimp. There were a lot of crabs, anything like that. My dad was one of those big flamboyant cooks where he'd use every single item in the kitchen and then we'd all have to clean it up after. Drove us absolutely mad. But he was a brilliant, brilliant cook. He was a brilliant event cook like yeah. a brilliant sort of celebration it's, it's sunday there are 20 people coming over let's do it and he'd make you know five chickens and yeah. piles of rice and all that stuff and my mom was more the kind of cooking to make sure everybody stayed alive cook because because i remember when i was a kid and going to one of my friend's house uh, his mom was indian and i remember it was the greatest experience as a kid if you got invited round to atoll's house you for were, tea you were on I had never experienced it. And yeah. I just wonder, was there a similar thing would happen with kids from the camp? I think people, people were quite keen to come to our house to yeah. eat, for sure. Because mum always made proper food as well. You know, she made rice and peas. She made it from scratch. You know, they made chicken. They'd make all the marinades and all that stuff. Yeah. From so they made everything. It was like proper, big, fulsome, celebratory, exciting, delicious food. So people wanted to come around our house. I mean, no, I had a friend whose dad used to sit on the sofa and eat broad beans out of a tin. Nice. So she quite liked it around our house <laughs> for obvious reasons. She was quite keen to come over, and also that my brother was in the in the school band, right. so they used to rehearse at our house. So all the fit boys were at our house as well. So not only was there food, there were fit boys, and they were playing music. And a winner. I mean, there's no way that you wouldn't have ended up doing the things that I did. Oh, I know what I know. you do. I mean, I I, I think that. You know, all of the, I'm lucky enough now, especially because I do a book show now as well. So I'm lucky enough that all of the things that I've ever loved in my life yeah. are part of my work. You know, I'm, I am, I promise you, grateful for it every day. I, I'm not even, you know, people say, oh, I'm really grateful. Yeah. I actually am, genuinely. I sort of wake up and think, oh, what next nice thing am I about to do? Do you this think as great. you've got older that you have become more proud or more aware of your, of your heritage and history? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think it's actually, I'm way more connected and I understand it in a very different way. In fact, one of the things the pandemic has given me 
is an even deeper understanding of my connection to the Caribbean and further back. You know, Makita and I, my daughter, when yeah. uh, we filmed a, a two-part film in Antigua, Barbuda and Barbados with BBC, we made this couple of films at the Caribbean with Andy Makita and we did a DNA test and it blew my mind, Simon. So what did you discover? So I discovered I'm 38% Nigerian. Okay. And the rest of me is like Mali, Senegal, Togo, like literally right and down. Did you what you know that? No, not at all. So what, what, did, you what did you think? What do you think? I expected to have some African blood because obviously the people in, black people in the Caribbean aren't, um, we're not indigenous to the Caribbean. Yeah. We were brought to the Caribbean. Enslaved Africans were brought to the Caribbean to, you know, work the sugar. So, but I imagined that there would be some indigenous Caribbean blood and there's not one drop, not one drop at all. Because yeah. the indigenous Caribbean people are sort of the Taino, the Arawaks and the Caribs, and they have a Latin American, South American yeah. um, uh, heritage. So it was, it, it blew my mind completely. And then I became really overwhelmed by it, to be honest, because I suddenly, it's something I've understood intellectually my whole life. I then, for the first time ever, felt it emotionally and it was huge I sort of fell apart to be honest I was like crying for most of the day because it was just really overwhelming the in a good way yeah in a, in a good way and in a quite a painful way as well just because of what they must have been through yes um but then I also feel incredibly proud it was a word you used at the beginning of this question actually but I felt really proud to sort of be the person thriving now because of what my ancestors survived and and we thrive we didn't just survive we thrive we're like magic people that's yeah. why i look at it it's like we went through all of that and here we are doing incredible things and and taking their name and honoring it I, that's how i feel that's lovely but so so with that discovery because everything is about food yeah you and i it's all we talk about when yeah. we choose the yeah. food music and being old yeah oh and your daughter and, and, and the daughter yeah the, the, and maybe the dog sometimes the dog she's we call her stupid dog now we don't even call her by her name anymore <laughs> she's just called stupid dog. Dog. scout Okay, fine. Scout, but we call it stupid. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, so so bec because of food, because yeah. you discover, if you like, a different heritage, one mm -hmm. that you thought you had, did it make you investigate, so Nigerian, for example, well, did it make you investigate more? It's made me investigate more. What it's also made me understand is what, there's a brilliant academic and writer called Dr. Jessica B. Harris, and she wrote a book called High on the Hog, which is all about uh, African food pathways and what soul food in America, she's America, African-American woman, and, uh, and really the connection that African soul food has to Africa. And what it's made me understand are the food pathways between that whole coast of Africa and the massive span of the Caribbean territories. So if I look at a dish like pepper pot, yeah. which is the um, national dish of Antigua, I realised that that dish is intrinsically African. Dr. Harris calls it the African hand. And I just love that as a concept because we talk about the hand in cooking all the time. Yeah. In, in the Caribbean, we say, I love your hand, which means I like the way you cook and I like the way you extract flavour. What a lovely expression. I, love, I like your hand, right? And she talks about the African hand in Caribbean cooking and in uh, African-American soul food. And what it's made me understand is that. So you look at a dish like pepper pot. I've got my grandmother's pepper pot recipe. And I've actually been making exactly, she used to, make, she used to smoke her own oxtail, smoked oxtail, oh Simon. It's a thing, do it. Oh it's absolutely goodness. unbelievable. So you've got smoked oxtail, salt pork, salt beef, pigtails. It's got everything going on in it. You soak it all overnight and then you cook it up. 
And then you make okra and aubergine and black eyed peas and loads and loads of spinach and Everything that, tops. That you take as being yeah. Caribbean heritage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But then when you look and then you put it all together and you sort of bring the whole dish together and you look and you think, this is an African pot. Yeah. And it had never occurred to me before. So what it's made Well, I'm me- glad because I'm just thinking, I feel really ignorant now because it's never occurred to me. And as soon as you say that, you go, yeah. Of course it is. Of course, of course, of course. And there are things, obviously, in Caribbean cuisine, there's things from China, India, across Africa, from Britain, from Ireland, from, you know, so many people, Portugal, uh, so many people have trodden through the, the territories for the good or the worse, whatever it is, we are where we are now. They've left that mark, not just in our blood, yeah. but also in our food. Yeah. And it's on our plates. So it's fascinating when you look at a place of Caribbean, a plate of Caribbean food because it will take you to Nigeria, it will take you to Portugal, it will take you to China, it will take you all over the place. It's, it's all, the thing that always surprised me is that the Portuguese were the ones who introduced chilies. Isn't that interesting? And you sort of go, That feels what, upside who, down. It yeah. feels upside down, doesn't it? Yeah. But, and yet, no. And sweet, sweet potatoes, I think, came yeah. from somewhere else as well. So, that, you know, I, I think that the, what's fascinating to me about that is that if you look at a plate of food, you can take it for granted, as we both have. Yeah. And then as soon as you start thinking about it, a whole universe of knowledge and understanding and thought and inspiration owns up. Because now I know that. I'm like, oh, right. Okay, so, and then I discovered that we have a dish in Antigua called fungi, mm-hmm. which is basically polenta. Yeah. It's cornmeal uh, made into a porridge, quite a stiff one. And then you turn it with a, in a bowl with a bit of butter and you make these balls of cornmeal with it. Absolutely delicious. And then I discovered that it's also called fungi in Angola. So I'm like, oh, wow. So <laughs> Angola's in there somewhere as well. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? But I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of feeling really, really ignorant. But I'm, I'm no, but I've only if, just learned this stuff. Yeah. I've only just learned this stuff. And I just find it endlessly fascinating. Do you think then, you know, for all of the kind of things that, that we know were kind of wrong with, with, with British society, how do you think that from a food perspective and embracing others' heritage, mm-hmm. I think Britain is quite a good place for yeah. food. I think that I we're think not so. afraid to embrace cultures from wherever. I think the British palate is quite fascinating, really, because, you know, we love, we love it all. Yeah. We kind of want it all. As soon as British people started being able to leave this island and travel all over the world and come back, things have changed so drastically and so dramatically. I think there was a point, especially when we were younger, where you couldn't get nice food particularly yeah. easily unless you went to somebody's house yeah. it was quite difficult or you were very rich and could go to very fancy yeah. restaurants and it still wasn't necessarily going to be nice but the restaurant was, was very different wasn't it yeah. it, was, it was kind of like you know it was a, it was for yeah. you know yeah. chicken in a basket uh, you know I, I discovered a cat I didn't discover a calf like a street side calf yeah. until I was 14 or 15 I'd never seen one because Caribbean people don't really go. We never used to really go out for dinner and stuff. We did in Cyprus. When we got back here, they were not going out for dinner. And somebody took me to space and I was like, what is this place? And they're like, it's Caff Andy. I was like, what's a calf? And they're looking at me like, what is it? Who are you? And what is the matter with you? And I was like, hang on. Are you telling me I can get roast dinner here every single day? <laughs> it blew my tiny mind. I was like, this is the best place in the world. How has nobody ever brought me to a calf before? And I've lived in them ever since. Um, so, no, I think the British palette is really broad, really all-encompassing and really quite adventurous, actually. Yeah, I do. And, 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 I think as, and I think that started out as eaters, but more and more British people, everyday people are cooking and cooking and cooking and learning skills 
and learning how to make a curry paste from Indonesia and how to make one from Goa and how to make one from Jamaica or Antigua or whatever. And learning about different herbs and spices and heat and warmth and all of the different flavors that we're always wanging on at each other about. Yeah, and I, I think it's an exciting place to be because yeah, of that. Yeah, I completely agree. So where, with, with Mikita, because I know that you cook together anyway, although uh, when I say cook together, she starts... Near me. Yeah, she, she tries to start and then you take over, and I go is what she says. She's yeah. such a liar, right? Sort of, <laughs> kind of. No, but she, she I think... <laughs> That she over eggs me being bossy in the kitchen. I mean, I, I wow, try. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I didn't like him. Didn't I? It was the second time. I'm telling you one more time. I don't like him. All right. Um, no, I, I like. I'm just trying to teach. What she's not good at. This is the problem. Is me teaching her stuff. Yeah. It gets on her nerves. Yeah. So if I have information that I'm trying to impart or share with her, she's like, you're so rubbish, you just, and I've said, no, I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to teach you how to make a nice little curry sauce or whatever it is. And she's got better. I tell you when we got better with each other, we learned patience, was when we drove across Asia together, when we did a, um, wow. we did a, we did a, what is it called? We did a car rally okay. across Thailand, Cambodia and Vietnam in a 1953 Morris Minor. And I she can't. can't drive. So I did all the drive. I drive for like 10 hours a day. We did it with, for the BBC. We did mm. this kind of mad program. But after about day two, we went, you know, we're really going to have to work this out. Because <laughs> we're in this tiny yeah. little car together. Yeah. And we're going to have to learn how to be patient with each other. Otherwise, one of us is going over the cliff. Do you know what I mean? So we got it together and we started listening to each other really differently and really taking time to think about what was happening for the other person. And it was just a brilliant thing for our relationship because that's what you want in any relationship. You want to yeah. be heard and you know how to and learn how to listen, right? That's really important. And, and, and how does she view the, the heritage that you've discovered that you have? I think the same way. In yeah. that sense, you know, we realise that we come from this, and this is something we knew anyway, but we realised we come from this line of incredible women. And my grandmother, her great-grandmother, used to, there used to be a place in Antigua called Johnson's Point that's not there anymore. But she used to go down to meet the fishermen and she'd go and a couple of hours early, just as the, just as someone's coming, go swimming naked every morning, my grandma. And uh, she was this, she had 12 children. They're all extraordinary. My aunties and uncles, teachers and writers wow. and actors and artists and, I mean, incredible people. And this... Antigua woman brought these children up in the most extraordinary way. She's written her uh, memoir. She wrote a memoir that we've all got. That, that's where the pepper pot recipe comes in because the pepper pot recipe is in her memoir. Yeah. And um, I feel that we are blessed in that way. We, ha we carry the a very strong line of powerful men and women with us and we feel it everywhere we go and we're really happy and excited about it. It's like it's amazing. Yeah. It's like you taste the good clean air. We talked about this before, the good clean air at the top of the mountain. There's like a thing where you yeah. fill your lungs and you stand up to your full height and you pursue all the things that make you happy and excited that you really, really want to do. And that's how we both feel about it, actually. And so what, what happens next with food for you? I mean, obviously, like, you know, your media career is off the scale, you're writing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But where do you see what, what happens next on, a, on, a, on food terms? Well, for, for me, it's actually interesting because it is a continuation of this conversation. And we are starting, I'm doing an exhibition at the Commonwealth Games later this year mm -hmm. with um, my Wadadley Kitchen Project. And so we're starting to use food as a kind of cultural 
Just remind us what, what that what project is. So, with Daddy, the Daddy Kitchen Project is about exploring heritage cooking, and also it's about me taking old flavours that I grew up with and trying to do new things with them. So, it's taking all the Caribbean flavours that I grew up with and doing new stuff with it to open up people's idea of what Caribbean food means. Because people have a very narrow idea of what Caribbean food is. They think it's jerk chicken, yeah. they think it's rice and peas, and they literally think it stops there. And it's so much more than that. And there's so much going on. Like Ital cooking, for instance, yeah. which is essentially veganism, has been around for like 50 years in the Caribbean. You know, Rasta's brought that in a long time, bro. It's not new, all right, people? And um, there are, when we were talking earlier, and I was talking to you about that Christmas bush, yep. that leaf that I found, it's like a cinnamon leaf. It's like, you know, when I'm in Antigua, I find all these incredible things, soursop and Edo's and a thing called cassie, which is like a cactus paddle that they peel take all somebody sits there takes all the spikes out peels it around the edge then chops it up and they steam it right. and it's a bit like a cross between asparagus and okra so there are all these incredible indigenous ingredients there are things that have been brought in later but the, it comes together to make this exciting cuisine and i just want to share it with people yeah. so that they understand how broad and how exciting caribbean food is you know that the word barbecue is actually a tino Indian name and the Taino were the indigenous inhabitants of Antigua. So there's, there's a few words like, uh, I think it's barbecue, hammock, and something else really odd <laughs> that I can't remember that you just would never think was a, well, yeah. so, and the, t the way jerk chicken was invented, did I tell you this before? No. So jerk chicken happened up in the mountains in Jamaica because there were enslaved Africans who'd run away and they were up in the mountains with the Maroons who were other, another indigenous tribe. And they wanted to cook food, but they didn't want the smoke to be seen by the soldiers that were looking for them. So they buried it, the chicken, and they cooked it in smoke underneath, underneath these the like bamboo yeah. mats. And that's how, that's why jerk chicken, jerk chicken is not a paste. Jerk is not a paste. Jerk is a cooking method. There is a seasoning mix, but it's a cooking method. So jerk chicken should be smoky. And it should have that deep earthiness. And that's because it was, that's how it was invented. Love it. it me too. It's that yeah. endlessly fascinating. To yeah. Me. But, but again, so, so that's the thing, you know, knowing that you have that project on the go, mm -hmm. what do you see? I mean, do, do you see restaurants? Do you see kind of books? Um, see... At the moment, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do a Wadadley book after this book. Yeah. I'm doing a book now, which will be out next spring. So I'd like to do a Wadadley book after this book. Um, what I want to use Wadadley for, though, is a kind of, jumping off point for conversation for us to explore heritage and explore migration and explore identity and explore our sense of selves we were just talking about you know looking at a plate of caribbean food and realizing that all these yeah. all these influences are there and that stuff's in our bodies and in our bloods too and not just um black people or any people of color but everybody we all come from everywhere and coming back to that whole thing because it is always about food it is the great unifier yes you know, yeah. no, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you do, yeah. food is that great. Food that great is the thing that ties us all together. Yeah, common. That's a brilliant way of putting it. A common well, universal you. language. You very well. Feel free to use that. I will. Don't you worry. Oh, right. It's in the book. Uh, <laughs> common universal language, but universality is what it's all about. Because I think at the moment we're told again and again and again what makes us different. Yes. And there are certain factions or powers that be that, you know, thrive on that. And, yeah, and, and yeah. It, they love that, that difference yeah, and they in love a negative that, way. Yeah, in the, yeah, the device. Yeah. I love difference in an exciting way because I'm like, oh, well, so how did you grow up then? And then we put all that together and that's how we move forward into the future. And I want to use Wadadli and the food that we make as a way of bringing people to the table to have these conversations so that we can move forward together. Because I'm sick 
of talking about what what makes us different, what what people are angry about. And, uh, you know, I just want us to breathe and understand the past is the past at this point. We need to explore it. I think we should examine it. But we also need to be we also need to be exploring how we're going to move forwards together and not just stagnate in bitterness or anger or upset from quite some time ago. Because I've always sort of felt that that, that from a positive point, and again, I always use food as the analogy, (laughs) that almost rather than let's kind of look and argue about the differences, let's celebrate the similarities. Yeah. We all eat, we want food, we want to be excited. I want to share what I cook with you and vice versa and loads of other people. I remember being invited um, years ago in sort of some of the first years after apartheid and they do that amazing feast on Tabletop Mountain oh, where, you, yes. where you break bread together. You've been at that. And it, it, it was quite one of the most amazing experiences. Really emotional. Yeah. Food with other people in particular moments in life is the most emotional moment you can get. It's that, it's that yeah. you know, there's a reason that the, the, the phrase breaking bread yeah. is, is, is something that's, re- it's not a cliche, it's rooted yeah. in this moment that we can all grab and grasp together if we just take a breath and sit down and learn to listen and learn to hear. I just think it's incredibly important. Cooking. Yeah. I also think is one of those things that I know you're going to agree with on this, that I think we've lost that skill. Like, you know, I've taught my kids to cook and I know that you have. It's so important. And again, you look at it and think celebrating heritage, whatever, whatever, whoever you are. Yeah cooking together, sitting down together, you sort of feel it moves the generation forward. It moves society forward. It moves the family forward. It moves every single moment. That's why, you know, if you, you know, not everybody has a kitchen table. Not everybody has that space. But just taking time to sit down together over a plate, there's something about the walls falling away, no matter how you do it. And it's just a moment of like, oh, stress relief and humanity. I just think it's so important to come back to that on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be a big sociological statement, but literally just a human moment with the people that you love as often as you can throughout the week, literally Monday to Friday. Don't wait for Easter or whatever it's going to be. Just do it. Just spend time with the people you love. And the best way to do it is over a plate of food or in the kitchen, over a pot cooking together. People will tell you things when you've made them food that they wouldn't tell you an hour before. I mean, I know some stuff. (laughs) So when when you're Minister for Food then, in the next government, which obviously we know this is going to happen, so are are there any particular plans that we're we're going to put in place, Andy, to kind of make the world, make Britain a better place for food? Well, I... I mean, I, I think we're doing pretty well. I would insist completely on the making sure that they bring back proper learning to cook in school. Yes, me too. Because it's just stupid. Yeah. It's like there's no point in shutting the door after the barn is what I, you know, is that, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say. I yeah. can never get that phrase right, but you know what I'm saying. The yeah. shutting the barn door after the horse has bolted. Yeah. Because, you know, once you're 45 and you can't get up the stairs, you already had it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, learn, teach people how to get new, good nutrition into their body. I just had a picture of this woman that I used to know, okay? It's a long story. She had, she had a problem. She had a problem. So I just think learn... You know, I, I can't believe it when I meet kids who go, I don't eat vegetables. I'm like, which ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which ones? Yeah. They go, what do you mean? I'm like, there are hundreds. Which yeah. ones don't you eat? They're all very different. You're just talking rubbish. You don't yeah. know what you're talking about. So, you know, teaching people how to nourish their bodies, it should be one of the most basic, yeah. simple things that happens at school. And they stopped. Apparently they do it at some schools, but they need yeah. to do it at all schools. They need to do it really well. Yeah. 
So can I extend that a little bit further? So when you're Minister for Food yes. and I'm your assistant, so here's my thing, yes. right? So yes, I think schools should have it on the curriculum. I also, uh, with our friends who are going to be in planning, so when any of the large supermarkets decide they want to build a massive hyperstore yes. outside of town, then our, my proposal will be that we make sure that they then bring a cooking bus into deprive lower income areas where they don't have access to fresh food a lot of the time and they teach them to cook both adults and children i'm in i mean yeah. you my friend are hired I'm <laughs> thank you it's a, it's a, but now it's a, it's, a, it's a very very it's a very very proud moment but that's a, but that's a really good thing and i think actually though getting commerce getting like you know massive shops huge kind of corporate organizations to back these kind of initiatives well, they're massively their own customers. so it, it actually makes sense for them. It's good for them. It's good for us. It works yeah. for everybody. And they need to put money back into yeah. the communities. That and are... we'll get a second term in government, Andy. And we'll get a second term in yeah, government. In and our, possibly in our political quite party a lot free that we crisps. Quite I know you're yet. quite keen yeah. on free crisps. Fine. <laughs> now, I should point out that we're in a really beautiful house, which I really wish was mine, but I actually it was isn't. Room, I know. <laughs> I know you did. And I let you believe that Until for an I hour Until I saw half. the fancy garden, yeah. I was like, no, there's definitely not it. Exactly. Until I couldn't turn the tap on, then it wasn't mine. Um, so we're in this beautiful house because in the past in grilling, then what we've always done is that we've talked through what happens on the barbecue. Mm -hmm. But because we're here, then we've got our friends from Weber have got a beautiful Genesis barbecue up there. And we're going to get Andy to cook for us. So we actually see if she can actually walk the walk Christmas as well as talk the talk, How which we know she can do. Absolutely rude. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, I've got all of those barbecues at home. I love that barbecue. And do you know what you're going to cook for me? Yeah, I'm going to make you a tamarind and treacle barbecued boneless chicken thighs because they're faster. Oh, lovely. And uh, you get a really good even cook all the way through. And I think it's a really lovely thing for people to see. And also we're going to be packing in flavour because that's what's important yeah. to me always, seeking the flavour, seeking the depth of flavour. So we're going to brine, we're going to season, we're going to marinade, we're going to barbecue, we're going to glaze. Five steps, Simon. Brilliant. Five steps. That would be brilliant. Can't wait. Mm. All right, I've got one more thing I want to ask you. Now, we, I asked yeah. this first time, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to get two for one hours of you. So every time on grilling, then we ask our guests to take me somewhere. So it can be anywhere in the world. We can okay. be plane, boat, train. We can walk. We can cycle, wherever you want to be. And I want you to take me somewhere that you think I would love. It could be a Mrs. Odd restaurant. It could be a little shack somewhere. It could be a sweet shop. Whatever it is, but you and I, we're going to meet tomorrow and we're going to go... And we're going to go there. Where? Well, I think last time I took you to a shack, uh, this beautiful seafood shack that I know in Antigua, did. didn't I? Which yeah. is a really wonderful place to be. So this time I think I we're going to... I love that. It was really good. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Was it was lovely, I yeah. talked to you. I'll tell, tell you, you what, though. Some of those uh, prawn shells were pretty tough. Yeah, pretty tough. I'm things. sorry about that. Next yeah. time I'll get them to it, it first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the garlic uh, mayo was a little bit garlic, strong. Garlic. It, it, it was delicious. Garlic. Yeah, it was lovely. They could have it first, for God's sake. Yes. Anyway, so I think this time we're going to go a bit more personal. Oh, And I'm going to take you to southern spain up in the mountains to my best friend nana cherry's house Ow. and me and nana are going to make you dinner because i like you simon even though i keep saying i don't i do <laughs> and what uh, are you going to cook me how beautiful and we're going to make you nana nana's from sierra leone yeah and she makes this peanut stew this beef peanut stew that is beyond the beyond wow. so we're going to make that and then i'm going to make you this uh it's like a 
so in the club we call it seasoned rice. Okay. And it's I, I realize this kind of rice happens all over. There's jollof. Yeah. There's pilaf. There's pilau. There's seasoned rice. There's risotto. It's rice with stuff in it, basically. But I made one the other day. And I had a block of beef dripping in the mm, fridge, mm. and I used lardons in it. And yeah. everybody kept going, why is this rice so amazing? I'm like, it's got loads of meat fat in it, basically. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm telling you, bruv, I'm going to use that bomba rice, that beautiful fat yeah. Spanish rice that you use in a good paella or a good, you know, arroz, arroz uh, caldo, they call yeah. it. So I'm going to make you one of those. Nana's going to make the peanut stew, and there'll be a big, crisp, gorgeous salad and a beautiful bottle of wine, and Nana and I will chat to you. How's that? Want to come? Uh, honestly, I am I'm 100% in. Will you both sing for me? We will both sing for you because it's a fantasy. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should probably stop there then. <laughs> there are people here, Simon. <laughs> but we'll make you good food and we'll have good wine. Yeah. And we'll be up in the mountains and well, she's got beautiful houses. If ever there was a perfect end to this, it's that. So we mm. are culturally moving from all around the place. Absolutely. We're going to Spain, eating Sierra Leone, and we're yep. eating some kind of rice that's Caribbean, which may well be African-based. But, but it's yeah. the rice is from Spain. Yeah. yeah. With the Scouser. There the couldn't be a better end. Fantastic. Always a joy to see Always. you. Always. Give me a hug. <laughs> Love you a lot. See you, you soon. Too. Andy Oliver, superstar. Cheers, darling. Huge thanks to Andy for taking the time to talk to us again, and I can't wait to be part of her government. Don't forget to head to weber.com forward slash grilling to see how to make her bush tea brine tamarind molasses barbecue chicken. Delicious. It really, really was. Now, next time, I'll be joined by John Tyrone. If anybody can throw a shrimp on the barbie, well, it's going to be him. As I mentioned, you can hear every single episode of the podcast via your preferred Apple provider. Grilling is an off-script production in association with Webber Barbecues, produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. I'm Simon Rimmer. See you next time. <laughs>